0: A listener production. Hey guys, just a quick trigger warning before this episode starts. Uh, we will be discussing uh, some stuff to do with abuse, um, some child sexual abuse. If that's going to be difficult for you, then uh, maybe think about giving this episode a miss. If it brings anything difficult up for you while you are listening, we'll put some resources in and phone numbers you can access in the show notes. Uh, 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 uh. take it away my dulcet toned adonis
1: (laughs) wow you've really sprinkled a bit of extra on that one (laughs) didn't you
0: we're both so isolated in lockdown this is like you're the only person i've i've talked to besides caleb in a week and i'm the only person you've talked to in like a week i'm just pumped to be here i'm like yeah yeah
1: (laughs) interaction yeah it feels like off, I feel a little bit dusty, a little bit rusty, but um, the excitement is palpable. Well, you look,
0: you look fabulous.
1: Thank you, darling. And
0: they can't see us, so they don't know that's a blatant lie.
1: <laughs> I'm quite glistening, <blissly>, aren't <laughs> I? I'm recently you oiled. Are very,
0: <laughs> you are very tanned and oiled, and I'm very like haven't showered today in like pajamas. Sitting on the floor of an unpacked office.
1: You look very Melbourne lockdown, and I look very um, Queensland, North Queensland. It is. Anyway, mm.
0: it's show business. There's no business. <laughs> it's G. L A N O R O U S. Oh my God. Okay. You're Settle down, okay. guys. We're just really excited to be talking. <laughs>
1: Wait, what do I say? Hello, Gistners. Can- Welcome back <laughs> We haven't even for started. another episode of <laughs> Just the Gist, a weekly ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Williams Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough <laughs> to share at a <laughs> dinner party.
0: Oh, mm. no. Or maybe
1: a, you know, Zoom virtual dinner party. We're back in those dark days.
0: Yeah. We're giving you some cool Zoom anecdotes. Mm
1: -hmm. Indeed we are. Yeah. And you're taking the lead on this one this week. I have no idea what you're sharing.
0: Well, I'll save it until after breaking news, which is going to be quick because I've been keeping them quicker. (laughs) Just like it's surprising how short they are when I take all my weird medical news out of it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. (gasps) breaking news, A breaking news, I got the scope, I see, X-ray, X-ray, read all about it, breaking news, <laughs> it's coming down the wire. We got an email or a message, I can never remember where I see things, I think it was an email, and I'm not sure if she was taking the piss, but she said, just what it was just like a single sentence email. Mm-hmm. And it was just wondering if Rosie knows that it's extra, extra oh, yeah. and not extra, <laughs> and extra Did you see that? And I was like, is this is that is this taking the piss? Yeah. Was that taking the piss? Um
1: We've had that more that than one. That's the thing that makes me oh, think there okay. are actually people out there who think that you don't know how to pronounce the word
0: extra. Excuse me. I'm doing a flawless 1920s transatlantic newsboy accent. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> anyway. um, Oh, my God. So the first thing I want to put in breaking news this week is something you and I are both obsessed mm-hmm. with. It's a new show. It's on... ABC, iView, isn't yes. it? And it's called The Newsreader. So it's, ah, it's so good. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so good. It's um, created and written by a TV writer I've worked with before, a guy called Michael Lucas, mm-hmm. who was one of the main writers on a show you might know called offspring Mm. so he's really great he's been working in australian tv forever and um he actually was in the first tv writers room i was ever in yeah and i've worked with him a couple of times and now he's created this incredible show called the newsreader and i've only you and i've both only seen the first episode and oh my god
1: i'm obsessed yes Yes. you'll love it if you haven't tuned in yet get on it everyone and it's it's Mm. episodic isn't it so it's an episode a week for a while
0: yeah and it's set in um, a 1980s Australian Channel 9-esque newsroom with a female newsreader played by that amazing actress, Anna Torv. And, you know, it's a lot about how the old school misogyny that she sort of faces in this very, like, classic boys' club mm-hmm white man boys club industry it's like I'm saying it like that's a thing of the 80s it's still what it's like today it's so funny because I said to Caleb oh my god we never have shows that we both like and I know you are going to love this show and we are both going to love it for very different reasons (laughs) so you're gonna love it because you wish that's what it was still like (laughs) yeah but it's just cool it's funny and I love that it's like set in the 80s the sets are amazing the costumes are amazing it hooked me in from the first second so everybody needs to watch it yes
1: and of course um we've done that episode on the challenger disaster and that is the major news in the very first episode episode. so you might even like to go back and re-listen to that episode of ours if you want to get a bit of a refresh on what happened with the challenger
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is really cool to watch how they they show how it went down in the newsroom. Like, people just, like, it was barely even a news story here. Oh, yeah, space shuttle's taking off in America tomorrow, whatever. And then when it exploded, Mm. it was like, battle stations. And how, it's so funny how they did breaking news before they had internet. Yeah. Like, things are getting loaded into a VHS machine. And Mm. it's, like, seems so old school. It's really cool. It's really cool. My other bit of breaking news is a really quick one that, um, you know, Robert Durst, the guy from- the Jinx. The Jinx. I'm keeping this quick because if you don't know who he is, then this makes no sense to you. But he was in court this past week testifying in something that he's been accused of because he's been in prison ever since then. And um, under oath, he um, (laughs) admitted that it may have been a mistake (laughs) taking part in that documentary. (laughs) In hindsight, maybe he shouldn't have done that. (laughs) No shit, (laughs) Sherlock. If you haven't seen the
1: documentary, you might not understand why we're laughing so much.
0: I know. Basically, the documentary, he was a free man until he did this documentary in which he just made it so obvious that he had committed these crimes that he got arrested based off pretty much this documentary Mm -hmm. and it... Um, Everyone's seen The Jinx, I think, but if you haven't, yeah. It's just very funny that he's only now, what is it, four (laughs) years later going, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But it was his male ego. He's a very wealthy, like, uh, rich white man who just thought he could talk his way out of anything and no one would ever outsmart him. And so he agreed to do this documentary and just dug himself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And I guess a lot of years in a lonely prison cell makes you go, huh.
1: (laughs) I question my choices.
0: I I question that choice now, maybe. So that's hilarious. And uh, my other final little bit of breaking news, I love this so much. So at the moment, it's like nesting season for penguins. And at the Melbourne Aquarium, they have... Two sets of same-sex couples. Aww. So when the penguins were mating, there's two um, sets of male boyfriends who decided to fall in yeah. love with each other. There's a duo called Tiger and Branston and then there's another couple called Jones and Klaus. Mm. And they caught, apparently, the same way as, you know, all the other penguins do. It's just that they happen to have fallen in love with same-sex partners. Mm-hmm. And obviously because they're both males, they can't produce an egg. And once the penguins caught and fall in love, that's normally when they lay an egg and mm-hmm. nest and do that. But there are other eggs that get abandoned. So these two gay <sighs> couples are now foster dads. to oh. little eggs.
1: <laughs>
0: oh. Wait, I'll read you this. Lead bird keeper Tanith Davis said the aquarium often fostered eggs to male-male penguin pairs and same-sex couples were not unusual in the animal kingdom. As male-male pairs can't lay their own eggs, we will sometimes foster an egg to them from another pair. Sea Life Melbourne has had many same-sex couples in our breeding history and they have all been doting parents.
1: Oh, that's gorgeous.
0: I know. So um, Tiger and Branston and Jones and Klaus are very proud dads. Of their own little eggs that they're nesting right now.
1: Oh, when are their little bubbers expected, does it say?
0: Um, It says, Gentoo penguins nest once a year just before the start of spring, with both sexes sharing parenting duties and collecting rocks to build a comfortable home for their eggs. It doesn't say how when they hatch, uh-huh. though. I don't know. Soon, I guess. Okay.
1: I want to know as soon as it happens. Oh, okay. That's really I'll touching. News- we I'll needed that Google good alert. news. Thank you for I
0: know. something heartwarming. I pitched that to um, Dan to talk about on Irrational Fear tonight because you and I are going to be guests on the podcast Irrational Fear. <laughs> I pitched him that and another story that was f- far more cynical and way less sweet and he picked the cynical <laughs> one. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I'll do the Penguins on our show. <laughs> Oh,
1: I'm so happy to know that. Oh, That's yeah. terrific.
0: <laughs> I know. Isn't it lovely? Mm. Oh, yeah. So we, uh, Jacob and I are going on Irrational Fear <gasps> tonight. We're recording it. I think it plays live to their Patreon and then the episode drops, like, tomorrow, I think. Yep. So when you're listening to this, it's probably mm-hmm. out. We'll share it on our Instagram. It's us pretending to be smart political people, which we're not. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll notice that I pitched a non-political story <laughs> that you guys are going to love. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's the it's the first time in a while someone on Irrational Fear is talking about what I've brought. Yeah.
1: If you're not listening to Irrational Fear already, you definitely should. Mm. It's hilarious to me that I'm going to be on Irrational Fear considering I really enjoy listening to the podcast, but so frequently I don't get the jokes. I just don't understand the references. <laughs> it's but too it's smart for us. It's just delivered in a way that um, <laughs> it still makes me smile. Yeah, um,
0: it does. And it, but it also breaks stuff down in a way that if you aren't across a lot of political stuff, mm. it it get, helps you get across it.
1: That's right. Yes.
0: And I've known Dan for a, a long time. And so whenever he cracks some political joke that I don't understand, I'm like, Dan, <laughs> r- remember who you're yeah. talking
1: to. I don't, <laughs> Dumb, it do, Dumb it down. Dumb
0: it down. D- dumb down, dumb down, please. So um, yeah, it's a really awesome show. I'm psyched. We're gonna be yeah. on it. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Well, that was breaking news. Oh, I've got to get rid of the picture of um, I don't know which penguins they are. It's just two penguins. <laughs> <laughs> it could be any penguins. <laughs> okay. So after um last week in breaking news, we talked about um, jocks on Frillo. Uh-huh. Which was really hard to listen to because my mic was playing up. So a lot of you may have skipped through it because um, it was a bit grating on the mm. ear, not unlike when I sing a great <laughs> new song. But basically, Jocks on Frillo, the Master Chef. Judge has just released a memoir, which um, a big sort of expose came out in Good Weekend magazine that a lot of it is um, allegedly made mm-hmm. up. Um, after talking to various people from his life. And so that got me thinking about other literary or journalism examples when people have made stuff up. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, James Fry with A Million Little Pieces got bloody um, a big talking to from Mm -hmm. Oprah. Stephen Glass was a magazine writer who made up a bunch of stories. But the craziest one that I thought I would tell is this one. This is just the gist of what a lot of people say is the greatest literary hoax of modern times. This is just the gist of JT Leroy. Okay. Have you heard of it?
1: Not at first pass, no. Maybe when you get into the details a little bit.
0: I thought you might have heard of it, but okay, I'm glad you haven't. Uh I'm glad you haven't. Coming in fresh. I don't
1: think so. So, You know what my memory's like, though.
0: Okay, so... Back in 2001, so it wasn't that long ago, a very hot, young literary star, he just seemed to pop up out of nowhere Mm. and he had this incredible backstory and the whole world, particularly celebrities, were obsessed with Mm. him. His name was JT Leroy, which apparently stood for Jeremiah Terminator because he had, like, named himself. Mm -hmm. Um, He was 20 years old. And he had two books out that were fiction, but it was widely understood that they were fiction, but based on his uh-huh. life. And his life was, by all accounts, an absolute shit uh-huh. show. So his mother had had him when he was 14. She was a truck stop sex worker with a drug problem. <laughs> Who's possible. <laughs> he, <laughs> he got taken away and put into foster care But she stole him back mm. And she started making him dress as a girl So she could pimp him out to other men <gasps> When he was just like 11 or 12 years oh. old He took a lot of drugs He got HIV oh. And by the time he was like 15 He was homeless and alone But then he met this couple in San Francisco Called Asta and Speedy mm. And they were, like, cool San Fran kind of bohemian punk rockers. Mm. And they took JT Leroy in and they made him – part of the family and he would sometimes run off and get on drugs and but they'd always, like, give him a place to stay. If he came back, mm. they just basically said, you know, we're your family and we'll always be here for you. And they knew he had a lot of trauma to deal with. So when he was about 17, Speedy, that was the woman mm. because those names are ridiculous. <clears throat> I probably need to point that out. Aster is the man, mm. Speedy is the mm. woman. Speedy got him to call a, like, a kid's helpline. Uh-huh like a suicide kind of mental health help helpline mm-hmm. for kids, for yep. teens. So he calls this like kids' helpline and he gets talking to this psychologist who was on shift at the time called Dr. Mm-hmm. Owens and Dr. Owens listens to JT's story and is just blown away by it. And so he tells JT, look, here's like my number, call back every week and I'll start doing sessions with you over the phone Mm -hmm. if you want, which JT did. JT started calling him and also Dr. Owens like trying to confirm how old he was said like, are you sure you're 17? Because it doesn't sound like your voice is broken. Mm -hmm. And JT tells him that he never went through proper puberty because his testicles had been mutilated (gasps) by Uh, an abusive uh, John uh, that his mother had made him uh, um, sleep with. So, after a few of these, so he's had a horrific life and this doctor just feels he just wants to help him. He wants to help this sweet kid. Mm -hmm. And so, after a few of these like hours-long sessions on the phone with JT, Dr. Owens encourages him to help deal with his trauma in between their phone sessions to start writing his story Mm. down. So JT does and he sends Dr. Owen some pages and the doctor is just gobsmacked by how good they are and he says, I think maybe you're a writer. Mm. And so JT, industrious little fellow, starts just cold calling some of his favourite authors Mm. and eventually he gets quite a famous writer called Bruce Benderson on the phone And just to be nice, Bruce says, you know, I was a little uncomfortable. I was like this young kid. At first I thought it was a girl because it sounded like a girl and my books deal with a lot of very intense stuff, a lot like what JT's life was like. So he said I didn't feel comfortable talking to a kid on the mm. phone about such inappropriate, intense themes. But then JT said, oh, no, I get it because I live just like that and can I send you some of my stuff? And he was just like, oh. Like, just to be nice, he was like, sure, Mm. here's my fax number. So JT Leroy sends him some of the stuff he's written and Bruce Benderson is like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Mm. Like, if this is written by a 17-year-old kid, this is out of this world amazing. Um, And he's like, not only can he write, but his life story is just it makes people want to help him, mm. they feel, for this kid mm. who's been through all this trauma. So Bruce Benderson gets him a literary agent. And at this point, none of them have met him in person, but they're all incredibly invested, not just in his success, but just in helping him live a happy, mm. healthy life. Um, they all talk to him on the phone for hours, like Bruce Benderson, Dr. Owens, his new agent. Um, Bruce Benderson puts him in touch with other authors that he looks up to. So, JT starts talking to them mm. on the phone for a really long time. A few of them say they often feel like they're the only one standing between him and self-harm, like he calls them for like emotional support Mm -hmm. and they all start to take that really seriously he's like mentally very fragile and it gets to a point where he does have like at least a dozen people who feel like they are really closely responsible for his His well-being and they all like yeah they're his support crew they're all looking out for this kid then in 1999 his first book's Book gets published. It's called Sarah, and it's a fictionalized version of his childhood. Sarah is meant to be his mother, Mm. Um, and that's quickly followed by a book called The Heart Is Deceitful Above All Things, and the books like explode, Mm. explode. By two thousand one, they've both become bestsellers, and his agents and his publishers are like JT, you've you've got to show yourself because it's been two years at this point, and he's never. No one's ever seen uh-huh. him. Like, they all just only talk to him on the phone, and he says he's incredibly shy, and they all respect that because of his, you know, horrific, traumatic past. And he, but his agents now are like, you have two best selling books, and people are incredibly personally connected with your story. They want to see you. Like, you've got to do some readings and some appearances. Mm. And he says to them that he's really embarrassed because he has a cancer. He has Carposy sarcoma because of his HIV. You know, that's the cancer where you get all the... Um, lesions. Those lesions, mm. those marks that became quite infamous around HIV in the 80s and early 90s. And they were like... There's nothing to be afraid of. Like these people love you. Like you're you're going into you're going to be enveloped by love mm-hmm. if you make these appearances. And he's getting invited all over the world like to Europe, to other places. And so eventually in 2001, JT Leroy agrees. He says, "Okay, I'll go to some readings. Mm-hmm. I'll make some I'll go to some book events." Mm-hmm. And he turns up. And he is like Sort of not what anybody expected, but also exactly what everyone expected. Mm-hmm. So he's tiny, pale, and he's wearing what is obviously a platinum blonde wig. Mm-hmm. Like it's obviously a wig. Very dark sunglasses. He kind and he's wearing clothes that completely cover him from head to toe, like high neck, long sleeve. <laughs> like he kind of disguise. looks like. Well, he looks like Michael Jackson, I was going to say, but with blonde hair. Mm. Like, and he barely spoke, but when he did, it was in this, like, very sweet, girlish, southern drawl, like, he kind of talks like this. Mm-hmm. And which all the people who'd been speaking with him on the phone for years are like, yeah, that's his voice. That's that's JT. He's mm-hmm. a very sweet, fragile-sounding voice. And although it was very obvious to everyone that, like, it was a wig and the sunglasses were weird, the general consensus was, well, this is an extremely tr- troubled young man. Mm-hmm. He's been through hell. He's very fragile. He's extremely shy. Like, if dressing like that and hiding under a wig and glasses helps him get through public appearances, then who are we to say anything? Mm. So be it. Let him. So he would barely speak at these book events. Mm. He was always with Speedy and Aster and he would kind of say hi. He'd get up and be like, thanks so much for coming. And then he'd just go and sit with Speedy and other people would read from his book for Uh him. And once people saw what he looked like and he kind of, Do you want to look up a picture of him right now so you can see?
1: Yep, I do.
0: So, he kind of looks like, if you're in the snooty, artistic, literary world, he kind of looks like a ready-made character. Like, that's... He kind of... It's a bit Andy Warhol-ish. Yes, that's
1: what I was about to say. It does have that sort of Warhol wannabe vibe.
0: Yeah, and so he just looks fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like, and so... I think because once people loved the books and were obsessed with the story and once people saw what he looked like and how he looked very, like, unique and fragile and charismatic and androgynous, he just seemed cool and celebrities got really on board they were like that guy's cool these books are taking off I want to be part of this so then celebrities start doing the readings for him because he's like I'm so shy I can't do more readings Mm -hmm. and so then literally people like Lou Reed, Courtney Love, Rosario Dawson, Madonna, Gus Van Sant all start (laughs) doing readings for him. Like, they're all obsessed. Mm. And I think in hindsight, it was a bit of a gross novelty. Like, he had this gritty real-life story and it kind of gave you celebrity street cred to be friends with JT Leroy, this up-and-coming literary star who, you know, was pimped out at 12 and lived on the streets and is HIV positive and I'm cool enough to be helping him and to be his friend. Like it was very much that kind of vibe.
1: That's icky. I hate that sort of poverty porn type approach to, you know, idolising, suffering of others. I know. Um, And, yeah, hitching your wagon to someone who's clearly a genius who has Mm. suffered um, but only to improve your own brand. That's...
0: Yeah, I know. So these celebrities are doing all his readings and that's when JT Leroy starts to become a bit more of a celebrity himself. Like there's bidding wars to get the rights to his books, to turn them into films. Gus Van Sant wants to adapt Sarah with Michael Pitt. Asia Argento wants to adapt The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things. She wants to play his mother. Mm. Winona Ryder cries while giving a speech about him. Wow. Madonna is trying to get him to join Kabbalah. <laughs> um, and as his celebrity grows, his shyness seems to dissipate. Mm-hmm. Like, he starts getting pictured at all the Hollywood parties and, like, um, he's doing fashion shoots for magazines. He's hanging out with the Glitterati Mm. because at this point in the early 2000s, this was before um, the concept of, like, being gender neutral or being gender non conforming was kind of woke. It was very, like, ooh, Mm. what's going on? Mm. Is JT Leroy, like, a... Butch girl or like a feminine man. Mm. I don't know, but I like it. It's alternative. So like Mm. it was a little bit David Bowie. So he was getting like lots of magazines wanted to shoot his picture and all that kind of stuff. He even like is just writing for magazines whenever he feels like it. He's so like hot and up and coming. Like he'll just call a magazine and go, I want to interview Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins, and they'll be like, sure, we'll set it up. Let's Mm -hmm. do it. Like he's just he can basically ask for whatever
1: jobs he Mm -hmm. wants.
0: That's his name, right? Billy Corgan? Yes. Yeah.
1: Did I get that right?
0: Mm Woohoo. He's pictured making out with Michael Pitt while in negotiations to make the Sarah film with Gus Van's hand. And he has a full on affair with Asia Argento when that film is being made. And it's during these few years between 2001 and 2005 that um, Bruce Benderson, that author that he originally cold called Mm -hmm. and asked him to read his writing, he said that like JT Leroy just stopped talking to him, just dropped off the radar, mm. disappeared. Like he'd made, and he, he was like, Look, I could tell that he'd clearly made cooler friends than this daggy old author. Mm. And he goes, I didn't resent it. I kind of just felt like a proud dad watching my son go on to bigger and better things. Mm. And I was glad to have helped him. Um, but I was surprised at how one second he was so shy, he could barely leave the house. And the next second, you know, I was seeing pictures of him on the dance floor with Madonna uh-huh. and, Incl- yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. He was like, it just felt a bit out of context from what I had yep. known. And then some of his publishers were like, "I oh, remember a few years ago when he said he had cancer because of his HIV, mm. and and but now it's like, does he still have yeah. that? Or should <laughs> that we be worried? Just pass what's going on there? Like, so there were some signs along the way that things might have been a bit off, but the main thing everyone kind of kept saying was, you know, he's JT, he's troubled, he's lived through trauma, he's different, we just need to be delicate with Mm -hmm. him, we need to be understanding. But there were some people who ever since JT Leroy burst onto the scene around 1999 were suspicious as F. And then when he popped up, looking like a dress-up party version of, like, a cross between Michael Jackson and Andy Warhol, people got even more suspicious. They were like, what? And it's hard to explain to people how much the internet changed and improved between 1999 and 2005, Mm -hmm. but it got a lot better. Mm -hmm. And so in 2005, at the height of JT Leroy's fame, people started looking into his story and they now had the internet to help Mm -hmm. them do that. And this is where the whole thing unravelled spectacularly Mm -hmm. quickly. (laughs) So not only was JT Leroy's life story not real, JT Leroy wasn't even Mm -hmm. real. JT Leroy had been created by Speedy, the kind woman who took him in and was always quite overbearingly by his side. She had started calling suicide hotlines as JT years earlier and then the whole thing kind of snowballed until a character she made up was getting sent Kabbalah (gasps) by Madonna. And I'm going to tell you how that happened.
1: (laughs) Oh, this is great. Keep going.
0: I'm going to tell you how it happened. So (laughs) Speedy's real name is Laura Albert. Her boyfriend, Aster, his real name is Jeffrey Uh Canoe. And back in the late 90s, they were living in San Francisco. Apparently they have a baby, but concerningly, and nothing I've really watched or read you ever hear anything mentioned other than they had a baby, Uh so who knows where that Mm -hmm. thing is. At this time, Laura Albert is calling all these kids hotlines and pretending to be distressed young teens talking to doctors for hours in different (sighs) characters. It was kind of like her way of like getting catfish sympathy before there was Facebook and you could post a status like of like an IV in your Mm -hmm. arm saying worst day ever can't really talk about mm, it. Mm. And then everyone's like, oh my God. Like she was calling hot like hotlines to do that. Yeah.
1: Yuck, gross. That's disgusting. Wasting precious resources. Yeah. Foul. I
0: know. Imagine the kids who needed to get through and couldn't because yeah. she was tying up the mm. phone. Gross. Mm. So you can't really confirm why anybody does the mentally weird shit that they mm. do. But apparently, for a little bit of backstory, Laura had herself Actually had a very messed up childhood Filled with a lot of abuse She ended up leaving home very young And living on the streets for a while So she's not had an easy time Mm. of it herself She had always been extremely overweight And that was something that had made her feel Completely worthless And so she kind of invented catfishing Before there was even an internet to catfish on She used to do this (laughs) thing where She was was obsessed with the punk scene in the 80s But she felt like she was too fat to do anything, too fat to go out. People would just think she was a piece of shit. She, she felt herself like a piece of mm. shit. So she would, like, get in touch with all these punk groups, like, on the phone and, and organise, like, to hang out with them and whatever. I don't know how people talked to each other before the internet, but whatever they <laughs> did in the 80s. And then she would get her sister, who was thin and pretty, dress her sister up as a punk and tell her sister exactly where to go, exactly who to Ah. meet, exactly what to do, and then come home and give her a play-by-play of how the night went. So she was doing, like, real-life catfishing.
1: Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's that medieval sort of story about this happening with someone, like making yeah, someone act very... almost like their puppet as themselves because they felt too ugly to be seen. Well,
0: what is it? Uh, C- Syria, the guy with the big yeah, nose. Yeah, yeah, Cicero- Syria, and then it was made into Roxanne with Steve Martin. Yeah. <laughs> I just know the Roxanne <laughs> version. <laughs> Most of
1: the gistness Cicero
0: de something. Yeah. Oh, there are people screaming at us that we don't yeah. know. it, But um. Yeah, so that's kind of what she Uh was doing. Um, And so pretending to be other people and living out lives that she felt she was not worthy of to live herself, it's something that she'd been doing since she was Uh young. She eventually gets gastric bypass surgery and loses, like, a lot of Mm -hmm. weight and totally changes up her look. Do you want to Google her now and see what she looks like?
1: Okay, I wondered if it was that person in all the photos.
0: With the wigs,
1: especially the red wig that Cher has definitely worn.
0: (laughs) So she's like super thin. Very gaunt, yeah. Very gaunt looking and she's got this really severe straight red hair with a really blunt fringe. Mm. She's like really created a look.
1: Yep, no kidding.
0: She kind of looks like an ageing rocker. Quite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she kind of creates that look for herself, loses all this weight But I can tell you this from experience that if you feel worthless about yourself, losing weight is not going to change Mm. that. Like I had weight loss surgery and lost a ton of weight. And what you realize is unless you work on what is making you feel such a low sense of worth to begin with, you're going to feel the same no matter what weight you are. So I think that explains why, even though she technically changes her appearance and shouldn't be afraid to go out and live her own life anymore if like she says, the weight is what was making her feel like shit. Mm. I think she just actually felt like shit because she actually felt worthless because she keeps doing this weird catfishing stuff. Mm. She's calling all these phone lines pretending to be other people. So... I don't know what she would say on the calls to these psychologist hotlines or these kids' helplines or whatever, Mm -hmm. but she said she always did it in character and it was always some kind of kid that was in significant distress Mm -hmm. who needed comfort, who needed to talk for a long time. And this particular character, JT Leroy, just kind of took off Mm -hmm. when she was talking to... Dr. Owens. She said she didn't even realize she was going to say the name Jeremiah Terminator Leroy. <laughs> it just fell out of her mouth when she was on the phone. Mm. Like it just came out of her. And every single person who talked to JT Leroy on the phone for hours and hours so, like Dr. Owens, Bruce Benderson, her literary agent, her publisher, all the writers they were all talking to Laura Albert. Wow. They were all talking to a <laughs> 35-year-old woman <laughs> pretending to be like a 16-year-old traumatized boy. Uh-huh. So, she starts writing the stories as JT Leroy and she is for better or worse actually a very good writer. The stories are She's very good. There's got a reason good the books were popular. Yes. Yeah. But when the publisher starts insisting when the books get really popular, like people need to see you, these mm. books are huge, you're going to be a star, like you need to make an appearance, mm. she was like, shit. So <laughs> she talks to her partner Jeffrey Canoop's sister, Savannah Canoop. Mm. Now Savannah is the right age to be JT uh-huh. and Savannah is kind of cool and androgynous looking and Laura's like, "Can you do a Southern accent?" And she's like, "I think I can." She's like, "Perfect." So Laura tapes down Savannah's boobs, puts the wig and the sunglasses on her, and she's like, "Bam, JT Leroy." <laughs> it is literally like that, like little thought behind it.
1: Wow! And it works. So
0: just to make sure, just to make sure you're up to speed here, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna break this down. JT Leroy was created by Laura Albert, mm. who talks as him on the phone and writes his words in books. Mm. And when JT Leroy makes public appearances, it's actually Laura's boyfriend's sister Savannah <laughs> with taped down boobs, sunglasses and a wig. <gasps> this is the flawless system they've created. <laughs> wow.
1: And Laura is pretending to be speedy.
0: Laura is pretending to be Speedy, Mm -hmm. who is like, JT's surrogate mother slash manager and for whatever reason Speedy has a British accent. <laughs> Not a great one really. <laughs> so Speedy talks like this and everyone's like who's this British woman? <laughs>
1: who's this bird?
0: <laughs> Why? She just has a British accent.
1: <laughs> well she's got a different her voice from the JT Leroux phone I guess. voice. I um, I love how sloppy this is but that it works. It is sloppy.
0: <laughs> but it worked. It worked because Select Celebrities are just (laughs) idiots. Okay, so nobody cottons on. Nobody cottons on. It's like I said, celebrities are idiots and JT Leroy was like this Dickensian novelty. They loved the backstory. They loved the dark, Mm. gritty glamour of it. They loved being attached to his kind of rising star and his gritty coolness. Mm. And, you know, they were all like... The wig and the whatever, like, that's JT, man. Like, JT's just different. Mm. He's an artist. And so for about four years, it it does work. Like, at first, JT Leroy doesn't do too many public appearances. Like, they kind of came up with the system because the publisher was pressuring, like, JT to do, like, public book signings. Mm. And so the idea was, okay, every now and again, when we need JT Leroy to be somewhere, Savannah will Dress up as him Like when we have no other option We'll do that occasionally And JT Leroy is You know Supposedly so cripplingly shy That he barely talks At these events anyway Mm. Like it's pretty much Speedy Who is like with him And kind of acts like his manager That does most of the talking Mm. Whenever they're out and about And when JT Leroy does talk a lot For hours and hours in fact It's on the phone But that's when Laura's doing it If you're (laughs) following But then this is where things get messy. So... As JT Leroy explodes in fame uh, and is hanging with Madonna and Winona, things get tense between Savannah and Laura because Savannah starts to really like being famous uh-huh. and even if it is dressed as, like, an androgynous man. So Savannah, as JT Leroy, starts going out more and more and starts going to all these parties and starts hanging out with celebrities and kind of defying Laura mm-hmm. to, like, only make a few appearances, Savannah's, like, I'm JT Leroy and I'll go to Madonna's party if I want to. So Laura has essentially lost control of the monster she has created. And Laura, who, you know, invented JT Leroy when she was still feeling too crappy about herself to uh, put herself out in the mm. world, she's now grown a lot in confidence over the years and is really getting the shits and is pretty jealous <laughs> because someone else is getting all the yeah. success and accolades and celebrity friends that should be hers because she and wrote she's those stuck books. stuck in
1: the wings, in the shadows.
0: <laughs> they even, this is the bizarrest anecdote that I wasn't going to put in, but someone who's obsessed with JT Leroy works on, like, created the show Deadwood mm-hmm. and so they asked JT Leroy to come in and write an episode of Deadwood So, Laura writes an episode of Deadwood. Like, so Laura's doing all this work and JT's getting all this (laughs) credit. And so, she's bursting at the seams. Like, she wants to tell people, I am actually the brilliant Mm. author of these Mm. books. And the more Savannah lives and parties in public as JT Leroy the more suspicious people are becoming because she's getting a bit sloppy about the, you know, extremely complex disguise Mm, mm. of a wig and sunglasses.
1: (laughs) And the complicated backstory.
0: I know. And, like, another aside here that I sort of thought twice about was, like, so she was pictured making out with Michael Pitt. And is that not, how can Michael Pitt have given informed consent if he didn't know that she was actually...
1: A, a, wo- a woman yeah. like
0: uh, and and also people say that Azio Argento actually knew what was going on because they apparently got intimate extremely intimate mm-hmm. like slept together had a relationship and so people say that like she just really wanted to make the film and she knew who JT Leroy was but just didn't say anything didn't want to ruin the illusion
1: right because
0: but that's all conjecture because Asia Argento has since come out saying she felt incredibly betrayed and embarrassed and she had no idea and blah 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 but I don't know how who knows so apparently one night backstage at a Smashing Pumpkins concert where Laura is apparently you know chaperoning um, JT Leroy mm. who was um become friends with Billy Corgan since he interviewed him and they've been talking on the phone for hours and hours, Mm. but really that's been Laura (laughs) talking to him. So they're backstage at this Smashing Pumpkins concert and Billy Corgan just does not seem interested in Laura. He's like, can you just F off? I'm trying to hang out with my friend JT Mm. and Laura just snaps and tells him <laughs> that she, she wrote the books and he's been talking to her and apparently he was like, okay, okay. Uh, uh, okay, I'm going to need you to take me through this and then apparently she spends a few hours explaining the whole thing to him and oh. then he's like, I'm out.
1: Oh. Um,
0: and also, apparently, Savannah, as JT Leroy, is turning into, like, a real megalomaniac fame monster. Like, so for appearances, she's demanding things like, you know, I won't do that event unless they fly in organic bananas from Peru uh-huh. and, and like, um, Asia Argento said, like, things were held up on the set of the film for like two days because he was demanding a publicist get him this particular Fendi bag, like just becoming like a total fame monster. So things are headed for a crash. Like Laura's getting jealous. Savannah's getting an ego and other people are circling around going, this looks Mm. weird. And journalists are really starting to go, what's the haps here? So in 2005, an article comes out in the New Yorker by a writer who had been suspicious pretty much the whole time but just had never really had, you know, the means to find anything out. His name's called Stephen Beachy mm-hmm. and the article is titled Who is the Real JT Leroy? Mm-hmm. And um, he just, you know, had some random source who knew um, Jeffrey Canoop from primary school and he tracked down these names and so he's he just pulled the tiniest string Mm -hmm. and it started to kind of unravel. But basically his article speculated that Laura Albert or the woman calling herself Speedy, the woman who is, you know, JT Leroy's foster mom slash manager was the voice of JT Leroy and was also the person who wrote the Mm -hmm. books. But he didn't really have any evidence. He just was like, look, this is almost certainly what the deal is Mm. but I can't prove it but he also had no explanation for who the person was in public Mm -hmm. like that was the sort of missing link from his story and so a lot of people didn't believe his story they thought he was just a jealous author and particularly the people who had bonded with JT Leroy like so deeply and emotionally and had given though so much of themselves to him like believing that they were helping this abused child build a better mm. life like all those people that he'd been talking to for years they were like I cannot have talked to someone on the phone for hours and hours for mm. years and they're not a real person and so without any info on who was actually walking around as JT Leroy it kind of seemed too conspiratorial like it was like no, you're just crazy. You that's too fantastical a story that it's all a scam. Mm. At that point it seemed more likely that it was real. But then another reporter gets on uh-huh. the case and this reporter tracks down a photo of Savannah Canoe uh-huh. as Savannah. Uh-huh. And I mean, it's like if this had happened 5 years later when Facebook was a thing, this all would have been over yeah, in 100%. half a day, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> but um This photo of Savannah Canoop makes it extremely obvious that she is JT Leroy, like from the bottom half of her face down, like where she's not wearing sunglasses, Mm. it's just, it's, it's, Savannah is JT. And so that's kind of the smoking gun and sensing that the shit is about to hit the fan, Jeffrey Canoop, who's kind of, you know, Savannah's brother and Laura's partner, Mm. who's kind of been a step back in this whole thing, He wants to get in front of it, so he just bails on them and does an interview where he throws them under the bus and just tells (laughs) and reveals everything. And he's like, I didn't want any part of it. It just kind of happened. And so it is a huge scandal, not just in the literary world, but just in the celebrity world. Like, all the celebrities who had fawned over JT Leroy go silent. Like, most of them never comment publicly just out of embarrassment. Mm. Um Asia Argento is actually one of the only people who ever talked about how embarrassed she mm. was. Also Courtney Love just Courtney Love has also talked about it like lol (laughs) she just (laughs) thinks it's funny but um, JT Leroy's publishers say that when the truth came out they try calling Laura like repeatedly for weeks and she just won't give them a straight answer and then she just stops responding to their calls Uh so they drop her as an author because they're like well we can't drop JT Leroy because he doesn't Mm. exist and Laura gets taken to court and is um ordered to pay back like $150,000 because she had signed a film rights deal as JT Leroy uh-huh. and like all this money had been paid to JT Leroy that she just kept uh-huh. like it, I just can't believe it's when you say this stuff it's like this had to have been in like the 70s but it was only years in ago. 2005 yeah. yeah not even so Rather than give a big apology interview, though, and act really contrite like other authors did, like James Mm. Fry sat down and got yelled at by Oprah, Laura Albert doubles down. Not in the lie, but just definitely in her bullshit, Mm. she doubles down. So she maintains to this day that it was all performance art. That's
1: what I was expecting she was going to (laughs) do. Oh, Uh, yes. Okay, Okay, talk us through it.
0: So she says that although JT Leroy wasn't real, he was alive. Like he was for her. He was real. He was part of her. He's a part of her life. And the art and the books that he created are still valid. And anyone can be JT Leroy. And- Other people say, no, F you. I talked to you for hours and hours on the phone because I thought you were a 15-year-old suicidal boy with HIV Mm. and you took advantage Mm. of people's generosity and kindness of spirit, thinking they were helping you and believing and being inspired by Mm. JT Leroy. And you essentially made, you profited off scamming people's emotions. I think the um, literary agent Ira Silverberg, who is gay and grew up, you know, through the peak of the AIDS epidemic Mm. in the US, he puts it really bluntly in this documentary that I'll um, talk about in the end. He says, to present yourself as a person who is dying of AIDS in a culture which has lost so many writers and voices of great meaning, to take advantage of that sympathy and empathy is the most unfortunate part of all of this. Like, you can tell watching him that he is just incense, like just F you. Mm-hmm. like performance art, my mm-hmm. ass. Savannah, who is 40 now, identifies as gender neutral. They say that they do think they were manipulated by Laura Albert when they were young mm. into doing the whole thing, but also, Savannah is now an artist and it's on their bio that they played the role of JT Leroy from <laughs>
1: 1999 to 2005. <laughs> hey, own the credit. Hey, one, yeah, own man. Own the credit.
0: Um, Savannah also says that spending time as JT is what led them to understand their own gender identity better, uh-huh. which is what led to them realising they were gender neutral, so that's You know, that's a positive. Mm -hmm. Savannah wrote a book in 2007 called Girl, Boy, Girl, How I Became JT Leroy. And it was turned into a movie in 2019 with Kristen Stewart as uh, JT Leroy and Laura Dern as
1: Ah, Speedy. Have you seen it?
0: Yes, and it's... Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, it's not a great movie. The most nutso doco, though, is called Author, the JT Leroy story, which was made pretty much in cooperation with Laura Albert just a couple years ago. I think it came out in, like, 2020, mm. and she gives her extremely one-sided version of the whole series of events and completely doubles down on how it was all just a brilliant piece of performance art and what's juicy in the doco is she record all those phone calls with celebrities with doctors with authors she recorded every <gasps> single one and they play them <gasps> <in that> country. <laughs> Like, they play all of them. Like, all these celebrities calling, going, like, hey, JT, hi, babe, Uh, it's Tatum O'Neill here, just want to say Merry Christmas. And then Gus Van Sant calling, going, hi, JT, Um, uh, I've just got some questions about, like, something, something, Uh, just give me a call back. And then this one where Courtney Love, calls and they're actually talking so it's not a message mm. they're talking and Courtney loves like going on about how they need to like write his story and do something with it and then Courtney goes oh babe, babe, babe listen I've got a, I've, I've got like a really quick line of coke to do here but I don't <laughs> want to put you on hold do you mind if I just do it <laughs> and you just hear like this <clears throat> like, <laughs> um so they they put all of that in this doco and Laura Albert's just like bomb dropped <sighs> like mother effers <laughs> And so Laura Albert, basically today, she's come out okay. Like, she considers herself an artistic and literary genius. She lists on her work bio, like, all the things she did as JT... Leroy, Mm. like all the, you know, extra freelance pieces like the uh, written interview with Billy Corgan and the episode of Deadwood, she credits all that to Laura Albert. Mm. The only writing she credits to JT Leroy are the books, Uh really, even though she says it's her Mm. and it's performance art. And, you know, since this whole thing seemed to start with her pretending to be other people because she felt so worthless, Mm. the fact that she now has such an ego that she considers herself like an artistic genius, Mm. maybe that's the best possible outcome for her at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Uh Uh
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. As long as she's not completely narcissistic to all the people who are surrounding her, which it feels like she may well be,
0: I think. Oh, when you watch this documentary, she uh-huh. is. <laughs> She's gone from one end of the pendulum to the other, my friend. It has swung. Yeah,
1: so she may not, she might be feeling great about herself. I'm more concerned for the people who are around her because she seems like a real manipulative piece of work.
0: Yeah, well, I think she was. And uh, that was just the gist of what they call... The greatest literary hoax of recent times, JT Leroy.
1: That is so good and I can't believe that that completely passed (laughs) me by. I thought at some point something would trigger me and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this, we learnt about it at uni, like this is the perfect time. that I know.
0: And I'm surprised that we, because back in 2005-ish, is when we were at drama school yeah. and we were, like, always reading TMZ and obsessed with celebrity culture. Like, how could we not have noticed? I don't know. Yeah. This
1: one just we did I
0: Passed me by too. Yeah. Uh, that is- but my question to you is, mm. and this is a question I always had with James Fry's book as well, because James Fry wrote A Million Little Pieces, which was about um, him overcoming pretty harrowing drug addiction. And that book meant so much to so many people. Mm. And when it came out that he had made most of it up or at least embellished a lot of it, Oprah told him off and it became this big thing. And people kind of fell into two camps. One camp was like it is meaningless now because he made Mm -hmm. it up and he ripped us off and whatever. The other camp of people are like "It, it moved me anyway, so it doesn't matter. If he wrote a piece of work that was moving and that helped me it makes no difference mm. uh, the context in which he did it or how he framed it or whatever. Like, And so that's what I kept thinking about this. like, She insists that JT Leroy was just, you know, her way of um, dealing with her own trauma and she didn't feel like she could write it as herself so she wrote it as someone else and she just hopes that it helps people. And a lot of people do say that they're brilliant books mm. and it shouldn't matter that she's actually the one who wrote them and not this imagined person. But other people say, like that literary agent and others, like, no, like you manipulated people and you you breached their trust and you took advantage of their goodwill. And part of what made the story so amazing is that this real person called JT Leroy overcame Mm. these obstacles and wrote these books but like Laura Albert didn't, didn't. (laughs) Mm. So does that take meaning away from like you read the books going, oh my God, I can't believe JT Leroy survived all of this. And it's like, well, he didn't. But does that, does that make it any less impactful?
1: For me, I think it does. Because, you know, if you're entering into something under the understanding or the impression that it is true, then to find mm. out that it's fiction, yes, that to me does devalue it in a sense. Mm. Um,
0: no, it does for me too. Mm, I, I think yeah. it does. Yeah.
1: Um, and, yeah, I think that the big difference between Laura and James Fry is the mm. fact that so many people got swept up in this and had their emotions manipulated and their time chewed up for her personal but gain. But also
0: but also that there was a a real fake person walking around like that's why the the makeout session with Michael Pitt makes me so yeah. uncomfortable because i'm like you, he didn't know yeah. he thought he was making out with someone called JT Leroy mm. like I, I, so much of it is like and just these intimate like that's what so many people said like the intimate conversations I had with JT about just the most personal, heart-wrenching, emotional things. Mm. And to think it was just this 35-year-old woman sitting on the phone, like spinning shit.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I have only ever seen the Catfish documentary, like the original. I've never seen the TV series that was spawned from that. And I found the documentary I can remember thinking it was just so shocking at the time. Mm. Um, But I can remember that that then spawned all these conversations of like, well, while you believe the relationship was real, it was real to you. So can you not see that it was still a real relationship? I do not fall into that camp. No, me either.
0: No. I feel
1: like once the truth is revealed and it's, you know, you come to understand that it was all deception, then there's no way that you can look back on anything and consider it to be legitimate anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And if other people can look at it differently, totally fine. But for me, yeah, I feel like once you find out that something is fake, there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube.
0: And I, yeah, same. And I still, as always, ever since I had that old friend from my childhood who we discovered had numerous different personalities mm-hmm. online and was creating into like when I went away to boarding school she would talk to me for three years about this whole life she had that I found out later was none of it was real mm. and she had created friends a profile of someone like friends of friends of fr- I think she was probably running like 20 different profiles so ever since that happened I've been obsessed with people and with stories like this of people who you're like why do you do mm. it? First of all, why do you do it? And second of all, like people like, you know, um, what's her name? Uh, Sabantu. Ah,
1: uh, Belle Gibson. <laughs>
0: Belle Gibson. Mm. Like for, why do you do it? But also like, but also like do you end up believing it? Do you get to a point where you no longer think you're doing anything wrong because in your mind it is real mm. what you're doing mm. like do you just get so deep into it you can't tell the difference anymore? yeah it's fascinating to me yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah um i mean we don't really have an answer do we because we no, can only no. trust what people say and you know mm. most of the people who are telling us one way or the other whether they did or didn't believe it are liars so it's difficult yeah. to trust their testimony on that it mm. is fascinating. And I
0: mean, if the show the show Catfish has been on for years now, every week with like three different examples a week. So there's no shortage of people who do this mm-hmm. stuff. Like and really if you think about what Laura Albert sort of the the little we know about her past and it seems like it just always kind of stemmed from this feeling. It always does. At the end of the day, it always seems to stem from a feeling of worthlessness and a desperation for some kind of connection mm. yeah but that doesn't give you an excuse to go about it in an incredibly destructive way yeah. that hurts people that's right
1: just because you feel shitty about yourself doesn't mean that you then get a different set of rules to play by to everyone else yeah, yeah. that was so fascinating anyway,
0: very fascinating wow. jt leroy um,
1: remind us the name of the documentary.
0: Oh, okay. So we give you just the gist, but if you want more, the um, documentary that Laura Albert worked closely with, which is the one where she just <laughs> doubles down on her bullshit and plays you a lot of what I'm sure those celebrities assumed were confidential conversations, is called Author the JT Leroy story. There's also a more balanced documentary I watched um, called The Cult of JT Leroy. Mm -hmm. Then there's um, a great Vanity Fair article about – all of this, called uh, The Boy Who Cried Author. Uh And that Vanity Fair article was then turned into an episode of my favourite show, Vanity Fair Confidential. Uh Um, So you can watch that on Amazon Prime. And then, of course, you can also watch um, JT Leroy, the movie with Kirsten Stewart. Um, And, yeah, there's a lot. There's so much on this. like, There's so many good, um, really detailed articles. I read a great interview recently in The Guardian with Savannah Canoop because they wrote the movie that um, Kirsten... Why can I never remember Twilight Girl's name?
1: Kristen Stewart. Roberts.
0: Stewart. I literally (laughs) just said Robert. (laughs) So, there's a great interview with Savannah Canoop talking about you know, the experience of writing that movie and stuff. So, yeah, I'll put it all in the show uh-huh. notes, all the um, resources. But, yeah, there is some wild stuff to watch and read about this whole uh-huh. thing.
1: And just before we go, have we heard any more about Jock J- 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 B- D- B-?
0: Jocks on Frillo. No, but I mean, Melbourne Writers Festival got cancelled because of COVID. Ah, so my genius convinced. plan to go and see how that interview would go has been um kaboshed. But um kaboshed or however you say that. But yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted. I mean, I don't know. Mm. I think to me, the general consensus is just, oh, lol, he's a bullshit artist.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like I, he made it all but up. Doubling
1: down on it, which is very bold. Yeah. yeah. Bold. Um, the thing that I found most surprising about his whole situation is the publisher doubling down on we've done so much rigorous fact-checking Because that's not really the case. You've written two memoirs. I know they don't.
0: Yes. I mean, here is me saying, please believe that mine are real and true. (laughs) But I will tell you that when you write memoirs, they do not fact check them. Mm. Because you basically sign a contract saying I'm telling the truth. And it's a memoir. So, it's your memories. So, if you say they're your memories, they take you at your word that they're your memories. They only... Uh, they do send stuff to the lawyers to double check or to get you to change, but it's only stuff that could implicate someone or like uh, highlight them in a negative kind of like. I had to change place names mm. so you couldn't identify someone. Like so, legal flagged things like that, but fact checking, no. Yeah. And then my then my memoir came out, and then my mum was like, "Lol, they're all lies," and I was like, "Ha ha, podcast time." <laughs> Mum says my memoir is a lie, award-winning podcast, listen now. But, um, yeah, did I did I um, write you accurately?
1: Oh, I mean, there are a couple of things that, of course, I was like, oh, I remember that quite differently, but, you know, not enough to dispute it because, you know, it yeah. helped to keep the flow or whatever. It certainly was nothing on the scale of what he did with that famous chef. Yeah. Um,
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Right?
1: But at the end of the day, it was one person writing about their relationship to another person. And there is no need to fact check that because there's no legal implication, right?
0: Oh, my God. What do you remember differently?
1: Oh, okay. Okay. If you've read Rosie's second book, Every Lie I've Ever Told, um, yeah. I think it opens with us in the hospital and yeah. the person on the, the bed next door, yeah, is having an enema and it's sprayed all over the curtain. The curtain. Um, you, I think, wrote me asleep sleep with a um, sleep mask over my eyes and I can remember I had yeah. my feet up on your bed and was working on my laptop and thinking, I hope my typing's uh. not keeping her... Awake, like something really, really oh minor. like details like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so like super small and nothing that Oh my would god, be you nearly concerning. just gave me a
0: heart attack. I was no. like, What?
1: <laughs> nothing fundamental. Um no, but it was just that was part of what made me think when you know, when they're saying we've done really rigorous fact checking, I was like, I I don't no, that no doesn't happen. No, they That's don't. not industry standard. <laughs>
0: No, they don't. They don't. But, I mean, it's because it's memoir. You you can't. Re- I mean, it's not. If an investigative journalist, investigative, well, investigative journalist. I love that Americans say
1: investigative. That's investigative. A, yeah, we should adopt yeah, that. Yeah, I know it is,
0: but if an investigative journalist wrote a biography of me, that biography would be fact-checked mm. because they have written something like, where they are asserting that that is my story mm. based on their research. So their research can be fact-checked. But when you write a memoir, it's just these are my memories.
1: Mm. And they can be fabricated or they can and be And I promise mine were real. Yeah, yours were, for <laughs> I sure. I promise
0: mine were true. Yeah. But um, The ones that I was there yeah, for, can the- out
1: for. Um, but, yeah, then you get the mm. polar opposite where you've got someone coming up with an in- entirely fictional character and then roping someone in to play that character in real life and to live now, as that character. Who now
0: proudly puts it on their resume. Yeah. Played JT Leroy 1999 to two thousand. Well, it's a very special yeah, set of skills
1: to be able to do <laughs> yeah. that successfully. So, yeah, I would say own it.
0: Made out with Michael Pitt, who is a hottie. Mm, no kidding. Um, alrighty, well. That was that. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
1: Listener.